But today we're going to do uh, depression. We're going to talk about depression. So yay, right? Let's get into this. We're all excited. Let's talk about depression. This is great. Um, two weeks ago we talked about discontentment. We talked about how difficult it is whenever we're discontent in life, when we're discontent in our jobs, we're discontent in our marriages or, or, or with with our, our physical body, whatever the case is, we, we talked about discontentment and how discontentment can lead us into anxiety. And so last week we talked about anxiety and how anxiety is a, a form of fear and worry. Um, and, then, and then that can lead us into depression. And really, fear um, or anxiety, discontentment and depression, it's like a cycle. You just keep rolling through them and it's hard to get out of that. And so um, today we're going to talk about that. So if you would... Go ahead and turn to, if you got your Bibles out, 1 Kings chapter 19. That's the only chapter we're going to be in today. We're gonna, we may hit a couple little verses here and there, but we're going to just run through the whole chapter of 1 Kings 19. Um, so it'll be great. If you're watching at home today, uh, if you're watching late, uh, you need to get your Bibles out. Get ready for 1 Kings 19. You need to read the whole thing. It's really, really good. Um, but today we're going to talk about depression, and, and, and one of the ideas of depression, I just want to quickly give you, um, this is not like something I came up with, I just did a little bit of research, not even a lot of research to find what I'm about to tell you, um, and I want to just give you some signs of depression, some signs of depression. Now listen, be careful, be careful, because I don't know if you're like me, but like every time I'm in the car and I'm driving uh, somewhere and I've got the radio on and a commercial comes on and the first thing they say is, are you tired? I'm like, yeah, I am tired. And they're like, are your workouts not as good as they used to be? I'm like, yeah, they're not as good as they used to be. And it's like, do you get sleepy at 9 o'clock at night? I'm like, I get sleepy at 7 o'clock at night. And it's like, you probably have this problem. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. You know, and so, um, and so be careful. Be careful with what I'm about to read. Um, don't be looking too far into this. Uh, but I will say this. As I begin to look through some of these things, some of you are going to notice some signs of depression. This isn't one of those things that you need to freak out about, but it is something you need to pay attention to. So, so there's four, uh, four major areas where we can see some signs of depression. First is in our mood, right? And, um, and, and here's some of the words that, that are thrown out, some of the signs. Anxiety, we talked about that last week. Apathy, you just, that's kind of like discontentment. Uh, discontentment's the next one, where you just don't really care anymore. You don't care about things. Guilt, we struggle with guilt all the time. Hopelessness, you just feel like there's, there's no hope for me. There's no hope for my future. I may as well give up and quit. Um, loss of interest in, or, or pleasure in activities, specifically things that you used to really love, all of a sudden you just don't love it anymore. Mood swings and sadness. There's signs in our behavior like agitation, um, excessive crying, irritability, restlessness. And this is a big one, social isolation. We begin to isolate ourselves from people. There's some signs in our physical body like excess sleeping or insomnia, not sleeping at all, or restless sleeping or excessive hunger or loss of appetite. It's funny how these things go one way or the other, just so extreme. Fatigue, weight gain or weight loss. And then there's some signs in our cognitive ability, things like lack of concentration, slowness in activity. I get that a lot, right? I'm pretty slow. Thoughts of suicide and repeatedly going over thoughts. I wanted to just hit that one real quick, repeatedly going over thoughts. Have you ever noticed yourself or someone else in your life that it's like they can't let something go, right? They get hung up on one thought, one idea, one struggle, one pain, one hurt, and it's like they just keep repeating it over and over and over. These are signs that we could be depressed. These are signs that we could be depressed. So don't, listen, throughout this message, don't be poking your spouse, all right, leave your spouse alone. Don't be poking them um, because I think all of us struggle with some of these things. And some of the, some of the reasons we struggle with depression, um, some of the most common reasons could be something as simple as um, maybe a loss of a job or, 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 or maybe you've, you've lost a relationship that you used to have. It could be that you lost somebody. Death in a family, grieving can lead to depression. Things like failure. You feel like I, I, never, um, I never do good enough. I just always feel like I fail. At this job, I got fired. At that job, I got fired. At that job, I got fired. And it's just this cycle of failure. Or maybe sometimes it's just sin and guilt can lead us into depression. And I just want to say, before we get, or I'm getting to, I'm getting to 1 Kings, but before we get there, I just want to give you a couple of these kind of highlighted notes that you just need to know before we get into the Word. Because when we get into the Word, you're going to see some things, and I need you to have some background on them. A couple other things that happen whenever it comes to depression, something to think about, is there are plenty of biblical heroes of ours that struggled 
They were not immune to, to loss. They were not immune to sin. They were not immune to failure. They were not immune to, to dealing with the temptation of depression or some of them full-blown depression. People like David. You know, the Bible says that David um, lost three sons at different times. He had one son that, that raped his sister and then the other son killed that son and then that son ended up dying at the hands of David's nephew and then later in sin when David... David cheated and, and, he, and he took another man's wife and had a baby with that other man's wife and then had that man murdered, that baby ended up dying. So David understood the concept of loss. And some of us, some of us sit out in the crowd and then I hear people talk all the time when I do counseling and, and they're mad at God and they're upset at life because I lost my grandma and nobody understands. But listen, let me tell you something. People in the Bible dealt with loss all the time. It's throughout the scriptures. The biblical heroes were not immune to it. Even Jesus, the Bible says, you, you know, he was born to, to Mary and Joseph. But by the time we get to Jesus' ministry in his 30s, he, he's 30 years old, he starts his ministry. We hear about Mary, we hear about his brothers, we hear about his sisters, but we never hear about Joseph again. There's a reason for that. Probably either Joseph left the family, which I doubt, considering that, that Mary had other children, or Joseph passed away before Jesus turned 30. So even Jesus had to deal with loss. Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, was murdered for standing up for what was right. Jesus lost his best friend, Lazarus, and the Bible says he wept. So, so you need to understand that even Christ had to deal with things like loss. Moses felt like a failure most of the time. There's plenty of times Moses, Moses would go to God and he'd say, I can't understand why these people keep acting so stupid. And he says, God, if you don't fix them, just take my name out of your book. Like Moses dealt, felt with this idea of a failure, even though he led millions of people. So you just need to understand today that, that if you, I read off all those lists of signs of depression, and if you feel like you're struggling with depression, the first thing you need to understand is you're not alone, that even some of the greatest men and women in the Bible dealt with this kind of stuff. And so therefore, we are going to deal with it too. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a person, right? You're going to deal with some stuff. The problem is sometimes we try to fix it ourselves. And we talked about this last week a little bit and how we try to self-medicate. We try to, to deal with our depression and our anxiety and our discontentment on our own. And one of the, one of the things that we do is we do things like, like drinking or, or drugs. And, and, and this is the one that, that I think is crazy. I did some research um, on, on, for this message. And, and as I was doing this research for the message, one of the things I came across was not in a Christian article at all. It was in a psychology article. And they talked about the effect of, of drug, I mean, the effect of alcohol and depression, that whenever you put alcohol and depression together, it is, a, it is toxic to your soul. As a matter of fact, it leads to usually abuse and addiction. That when you're depressed and you add a depressant to it, alcohol being a depressant, you add a depressant to depression, it's only going to lead you down a spiral you can't get out of. They talk about drugs and alcohol because one of the things it does is it gets you up on a high for a moment, but the, the low is so low, and you can't ever feel like you recover from it. Another one we do is we, we sleep, or, or for some people, lack of sleep, or, or we sleep all the time. I see a lot of people, you know, I don't like to talk about depression. I don't like to talk about, um, like, my past and things I've dealt with, but I've dealt with depression, and I remember... Whenever we, we tell this story a lot, but we've got a lot of new people, so um, I, I get to retell my stories. But whenever the church was really struggling and I was having to work two jobs and, and you know, I was getting up at 3 a.m. every day and I would, I would go to work and I would go uh, to work at one place and then go to work at the church and I was working at night and it was just a struggle. And, and I, was, I was tired, I was fatigued, I was worn out, and I was depressed. And I would get to church, and I felt like I worked my butt off. I felt like I would study for these messages, and I felt like I was doing everything that I could possibly do. And still nobody would show up, and nobody would give, and nobody would participate. And, and I was having to do a lot of stuff. I felt like I was having to do a lot of stuff by myself. And I remember going home from church and in my church clothes, which, as you know, are still pretty comfortable. But I would go home from church in my church clothes and crawl straight into the bed. If you talk to Perry, you'll know I don't like to sleep because I feel like life is passing me by, right? But I'd crawl straight into bed, and I just wanted to go to sleep and wake up and hope it would all be over and different. 
And it doesn't work like that. When we're depressed, we try to self-medicate. We try to do things that are not healthy for us. Another, another problem we'll do is we'll try to work too much. We'll just say, if I just, if I just dive into work, if I just grind into work, if I just keep going and keep going and keep going, that all of a sudden everything's going to fix itself. And that doesn't help us either. And one of the worst things that we'll do is we'll either isolate ourselves from everybody or, or we'll do just the opposite and we'll go party with everybody. And we just feel like if I can just surround myself with more people, more people, more stuff, more activity, then it's going to make things better. But the moment you're alone, you feel like you're dying. Or we just completely isolate ourselves from everyone and we shut everybody out and we don't want anybody around us. So these are the different areas that we deal with when it comes to depression. And these are the ways that we try to fix it. And what it's like, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It just doesn't really help. As a matter of fact, I looked up some, some, uh, a picture real quick. So Emma, if you can throw that picture up here of this construction. So we've got this pillar outside of a store, and I would never go to this store. Like, I would not walk under that walkway. Amen? Like, look at that. They got pieces of wood, they got some duct tape, and then they've got caution tape, and they even tied the super strong caution tape to the building. Like, that's going to help, right? A good sneeze comes by, and that whole thing is coming down. But that's what we look like whenever we're depressed, and we try to fix it ourselves. That's what we look like. We look like we're just wrapped up with a bunch of duct tape and bubble wrap and we're going to fix it and everything's going to be okay. And everybody on the outside is looking at us going, yikes, that dude's about to collapse. Like that bridge is coming down, right? And so we need to see what does God say? And, and, and I want to say this, I want to preface before we get into 1 Kings, I want to preface the fact that I am not um, a psychologist, right? So I can't speak to the medical side of depression. There may be some people that, that need to go into a psychologist. They, they may need certain kinds of medications. All of that stuff is, is between you and your doctors. I'm going to show you the spiritual side of it, though, and what God does to help us through a depression. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19, and it starts in verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Let's stop right there for a second. Right off the bat, this story jumps into it. So some of you are sitting back going, Whoa, somebody killed somebody. So the story goes like this. In chapter 18, Elijah has been the prophet over Israel for a number of years. And in that process, he's done some really cool things. Like, for example, as a punishment for Israel having a wicked king who, who served other gods, he shut up the rain. Like, Elijah prayed and it stopped raining. They went through a three-year drought. Now, that may not seem like much to some of us, but whenever you live in an agricultural society, a three-year drought is huge. That's devastating on the economy. And Elijah prayed. And so, so, of course, the king hates Elijah. And his wife, um, King Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, they hate Elijah because he shut up the skies. Well, then turns back around and, and, um, and he ends up praying again and rain comes back. Like, this guy is powerful. He is super spiritual dude, right? He can pray and shut up the clouds. He can pray and open them back up. The next thing that happens is Elijah in chapter 18 goes to bat against the prophets of Baal. This is the, the group, the God that, that Ahab and Jezebel worshipped. And Elijah says, let's prove once and for all who's the real God. It, it, is, is my God the real God? Is the God of Israel the real God? Or is Baal the real God? And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a contest. He says, you guys, all you prophets of Baal, I want you to build, a, a, build a, a, a sacrifice, build an altar and put a sacrifice on it. And you ask Baal to send down fire from heaven and burn the sacrifice. And so they're out there, the story goes, and they're worshiping Baal. And they've got the, the bull on the sacrifice. And they keep asking Baal to send, the, to send the fire. And the fire doesn't come. And so they begin to cut themselves. And they're bleeding everywhere. And the fire doesn't come. And Elijah's so cool, man. He is one of the best people in the Bible. Elijah literally says, maybe he's on vacation. Or maybe he's in the bathroom. Right? Like maybe he's stuck on the toilet and he can't hear your prayers. I love Elijah. He is such a cool guy. So, so Elijah does that. Well, guess what happens? Obviously, Baal never shows up for them, but Elijah takes his sacrifice. He throws an altar together. He throws a bull on the altar, and then Elijah gets super cocky, and he's like, look, man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig a trench around my, my altar, and then we're going to take water, and we're going to pour water on top of the sacrifice and on top of the altar until the trench is full of water, and then I'll pray. And he prays, and the Bible says that God sends fire from heaven, not only consuming the, the sacrifice, but it burned up the altar, and it sucked up all the water on the ground around it. Like, it was amazing. 
And then Elijah killed all the prophets of Baal. Super bloody story. The Bible is not PG. So you would think after this huge victory that Elijah will be riding high, that he is on top of the world. But here's what happens is all of a sudden Ahab tells on him to Jezebel and Jezebel ran the kingdom. She wasn't the king, but she ran the king. You know what I'm saying? Like she wore the pants in that family and Jezebel gets mad. And so here's what verse two says. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Verse 3 is huge. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Let's pause right there. Because here's the thing. Jezebel represents a threat that causes fear and anxiety. Some of you have had some threats in your life that are causing fear and anxiety. You're sinking into depression, not because someone has done something to you, but because of a threat of something being done to you. You might lose your job. You might lose your, your spouse. You, 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 you might, you know, lose your kid. Like, like, the enemy wants to show up and just threaten you and threaten you and threaten you. What did we say um, a couple, I guess it was last week or two weeks ago, we said what? We said that the devil roars, is walking around like a roaring lion. What is a roaring lion doing? He is threatening everybody. When a lion roars, he's letting you know he's here without actually touching you. And the enemy wants to threaten you. Why does he want to threaten you? Because he wants you to be afraid. Look at what Elijah does. He, he is afraid and his fear, right? His fear, his emotions begin to take over and his fear begins to affect his actions. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. In other words, with the way you think, the way you feel will determine how you act. It's important for you to understand that whenever we operate in fear, when we listen to the threats of the enemy and we operate in fear, it determines the way we act. We're going to do things and say things and act ways that we would never normally do. Why? All because of fear has crept into our heart. In 1 Kings, going back to 1 Kings chapter 19, um, so verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Look at what Elijah's doing. We're going to continue down this rabbit hole with Elijah of depression. So not only has he allowed threats and fear to cause him to change course, but now he is isolating himself. He goes to a place and leaves his servant behind. The one guy that was on his team, Elijah says, I'm leaving you here. When we're depressed we're discouraged and we're beat up even the people closest to us will leave them behind we'll isolate ourselves we'll run away we'll run away and so that's exactly what what elijah does he runs away now i, I know you guys were thinking man i thought you were going to tell me how awesome elijah was and he seems like a terrible person he does he does seem that way but this is the effect of depression and listen again remember if it can happen to a hero it can happen to any of us it can happen to any of us. So, so what, is, what is he doing? He begins to isolate himself from everybody else. Then also in verse 4 it says, He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed. Look at what he prays. That he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He says, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. All of a sudden, he is so overwhelmed. He is so consumed with this fear, with this issue, with these threats, that now he's saying, I want to die. He's having suicidal thoughts. He's saying, I wish I was dead. And, and I hear this a lot. I hear people say, if I wasn't here, things would be better. And Elijah's thinking the same thing. He's saying, you know what? It would be better for me just to not be here. We don't think about that. When we read these stories in the Bible, we don't think about the emotion that's involved. But the emotion here is that, that Elijah is totally giving up. And then in verse 5 it says, And he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. This could be a time of rest. And, and I've seen, um, it, as I was studying, I tried to figure out exactly what this meant. And, and some commentators, um, some scholars say that, that this was a, di a divine time of rest. But, but the Bible doesn't necessarily say that because it says that he went, went to sleep. See, God can put you to sleep. God can give you rest. The Bible says that God put Adam into a deep sleep. But in this story, it says that, that Elijah says, I want to die. And the next thing he says is, I'm going to sleep. He puts himself to sleep. And, and I feel like that, although it could be a, a divine point of rest, I feel like it's a sign of depression and apathy because he's just given up. He's checked out, man. He is done. I'm just going to sleep. 
And this is where I connect because that was how I, I kind of felt whenever I, I felt depressed. Was I, I just felt like I was checking out and I just thought if I could just go lay down and go to sleep. And some of you may deal with the same thing. For Elijah, that's exactly what he did. He just wanted to give up. He was trashed physically and emotionally and spiritually. He was checking out. And then we see God begin to move on behalf of Elijah. So we'll start here, continuing in verse 5. It says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And, and, and this is another reason why I don't think that sleep was divine sleep, right? Because it says all at once. In other words, very quickly, um, as soon as he lays down and tries to go to sleep, what happens? The angel shows up and is like, hey, wake up. You know, like, get up, get up, get up. You're not, you're not going to sleep right now. We're, we're not laying down. We're not giving up. We're not giving in, Right? And so, so immediately the angel shows up and says, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, hey, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, there he went into a cave and spent the night. Let's stop right there for just a second. One of the things I want you to notice, and this isn't one of our main points today, but it is a good point, is the first thing God meets for Elijah is he meets his physical need. Notice that. The first thing God does is take care of the physical. Why? Because he understands that whenever our physical is messed up, it messes with our emotional, it messes with our spiritual. Right? So, so think about this. Jesus wasn't tempted in the desert in Luke chapter 4 until he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. When Jesus was at his tiredest, when he was at his hungriest, that's when the enemy steps in. Can I tell you something today? For those of you dealing with depression this morning, or for those of you watching that are dealing with depression, if your physical man isn't taken care of, if you aren't getting enough rest, if you aren't eating right, if you aren't exercising, if you aren't moving around, can I tell you, you are opening yourself up for an attack from the enemy. When I'm physically drained, it opens the door, because when I'm physically drained, it all affects. When God created man... He looked at man and he says, let us make him in our image. Our image. God operates in a trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. God operates in a three-part being. And so whenever he made man, he made man as a three-part being. It's not that we all look like God because we all look different, right? But whenever God made man, he said, let's make him a three-part being. He's got a body. He's got a soul. He's got a spirit. That soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. That spirit is what lives eternally in heaven. The body is what we walk around in, and it contains all of that. And so God looks at us, and he says, you're a three-part being. And because you're a three-part being, if something happens to one, it affects all the other ones. It's important to understand that today. So God wants to meet his physical need because he understands that he's broken, he's worn out, he's hurting. So let's keep going. Verse 9. There he went to a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? I love that. You know what God wants to know? God knows everything. But sometimes he wants you to know why you're there. Sometimes you need to talk it out. Sometimes you and I just need to say what's on our mind. And one of the hardest things on women, I don't think, I'm not trying to stereotype any woman, but I don't feel like many women have a hard time telling you what they think. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to get in trouble, Kim, but you know that a lot of women are very free in expressing their feelings and their emotions. My wife is good at it. She knows how to tell me everything she thinks about me, about life. Speaking of, I've got to apologize because a woman, a woman got mad at me the other day. It was Candace. And she got mad because I said, I said how... How whenever I first went to the gym that she told me I looked like a fish and I immediately transitioned into how Josh came over and helped me and taught me all this stuff and I didn't talk about all the other bad things Candace said to me. And so she was mad. She said, you know, if you're going to say I'm bad, say all the bad things. Um, but Candace freely expressed her emotions to me the other day and said, you did me wrong. And so I had to apologize. I had to apologize. Candace is a good coach and a good person. So she did lots of nice things, I'm sure. I just remember the fish comment very strongly in my brain. That's all. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I look like a fish. What was I talking about? <laughs> women. I was talking about women. And so sometimes women, women are free to express their emotions, but men sometimes aren't. Like, we don't want to talk about what's bothering us. 
We want to keep it bottled up and we want to keep it hidden. Why? Because it's not manly, it's not cool for me to express to somebody that I'm hurt and I'm broken and I'm down and I'm out. But guess what, guys? God wants you to express what's going on. When God asked Elijah, what are you here for? God already knew what he was here for. He just wanted Elijah to say it. You just say it. And look at what Elijah says here. And, and I love this. If you don't mind, I'm going to read this the way I feel like it should be read. I'm going, to, I'm going to read this. I think maybe this is how Elijah would have said this. Maybe not. It's okay if it's not true. I'm going to read it, though. I feel like Elijah was very upset. I don't feel like Elijah was really happy with God at this point. Because of the words he says, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, comma, torn down your altars, comma, put your prophets to death with the sword, period. I am the only one left, comma, and now they are trying to kill me too. In other words, the reason I said all the commas is he just keeps running on. Like he's not pausing to take a breath. He's saying, listen, I've done everything right. I've done everything you've asked me to do. People are trying to kill me. People hate me. I'm the only one that believes in you. I keep preaching and nobody's listening. Ain't nobody's showing up at the altar calls. Nobody's going to small groups. Nobody's paying tithe. Nobody's going to outreach. And everything I do is a failure. And he's yelling at God over all that's going on. And that, and that may not be bad. That may not be bad. Because sometimes I feel like we get that kind of emotion. We get that kind of fire inside of us. And, and I don't think it's... God is way too big to be hurt by someone yelling. So if you ever get to the point where you're so down and you're so out and God says, why are you here? Why are you here, Riley? Why are you here, Perry? Why are you here, Anna? Listen, God's calling you to express what's going on. And it, I think he's okay if you yell and scream a little bit. I think he's big enough to handle it. And I feel like that's why he didn't strike Elijah down, right? Elijah's yelling and screaming, and God's like, all right, all right, keep coming. What else? What else you got? Let's go. You know, dump it all out. Let's hear everything you got. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So the first thing in your notes today, if you want to take a note, the first thing that God wants to do for you today in your depression is God wants you to experience his presence. God wants you to experience his presence. God doesn't want you to experience his church. God doesn't want you to experience good worship songs. God doesn't want you to experience a, a good sermon. God doesn't want you to experience a YouTube video. God wants you to experience his presence. If you look at Elijah's life, he had been around the work of God. He had performed miracles for other people. He's calling down fire from heaven. That's great. That's fun. He's killing the prophets of Baal. I don't know about that part of church, but he did it. He shut up the skies. He made it rain again. Like he's doing all of these great things. But in all of that stuff, he's seeing God do things, but he's not experiencing God's presence for himself. Theologically, Elijah's great. He's solid. But experientially, he needs a touch from God. He needs to step into his presence. Let me tell you something. We think that if I come to church and I hear the right message, if I come to church and they sing the right song, which today, Jonathan kind of knows what I'm going to preach sometimes whenever I tell him, but a lot of times Jonathan's picking songs not necessarily based on my sermons, and today all three songs were right on the money, like right on the money for this. So is that God? Absolutely, that's God setting things up for someone in this room that needs to hear exactly what's happening. But I need you to understand something today. You need more than me. You need more than a counselor. You need more than a worship song. You need to experience God in a real way for yourself. Okay, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. I know how I experience God. I, I'm not a, a, a very emotional person. And so I know sometimes whenever I step into the presence of God and I begin to get very emotional for reasons that have, I have no reason to get emotional, all of a sudden I begin to recognize I'm in God's presence. There are times whenever, whenever the men of the Bible stepped in. Moses is walking along. He sees a bush on fire. He's like, oh, that's cool fire because he's a dude and guys love fire. And so he walks over to the fire. When he walks over to the fire, all of a sudden he, he recognizes the fact that he's not in the presence of a normal fire. The fire begins to speak to him. That was a really good sign, like really good sign 
But what does the fire say? Take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. You have stepped into the presence of God. And he began to experience that. What was that? That was teaching Moses so that later on, whenever he's praying, later on when he's leading people, he, he understands. He never saw another burning bush, but he was always stepping into the presence of God. How did he know? Because he had experienced it for himself. He didn't read a book about it. He experienced it. So what do I need to do? I need to ask God for an experience. I need to go into my prayer time. There's, there's some times you may need to go into your prayer time. You need to close the door. You need to tell the kids, mom's going to be in here for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Don't come in. Maybe you do need to turn on some worship music. Maybe you do need to get out your Bible and read. Maybe you do need to sit there in silence. But you need to ask God, God, I want to experience you in a real way. And see what God does. Yeah, but he didn't do anything last time I tried that. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. We don't quit because something doesn't work the first time. So God gave Elijah his presence. That was the first thing that Elijah needed to get out of his depression was he needed the presence of God. As we continue to read verse 11, it says, Then a great and powerful wind. So he steps out. He's in a cave, and he steps out to the opening of the cave. And the Bible says this, That a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattering the rocks before the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Like a tornado, basically, is what they're describing. A tornado comes through, shattering rocks, throwing stuff around. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. So the second thing God wants to do for you today, he wants you to experience his presence, but he also wants you to experience his peace. God could have manifested himself in the dramatic. He could, have, he could have been in the fire. He could have been in the, in the wind, in the earthquake, because he was already in the dramatic in chapter 18. And that's what Elijah is used to. Elijah is used to drama. He's used to fire from heaven. He's used to people cutting themselves. He's used to rain and no rain. And he's used to miracles. And he's used to raising the dead. He's used to the dramatic. But here's the thing. Sometimes God doesn't want to be in the dramatic in your life because you have enough drama for yourself. Sometimes God says, if we got to get quiet we got to get quiet and i'm going to whisper it's easy to see the dramatic it's hard to hear the whisper i envision this this isn't this isn't what any other scholar has said i'm not a scholar so i shouldn't even say it that way i envision this like this verse let's read verse 13 when elijah heard it he pulled his cloak over his face right he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question as before, but I want you to notice the mood. I want you to notice a mood shift. So initially, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Ranting, raving, everybody's trying to kill me, nobody likes me, I'm going to go eat some worms, whatever the old saying is, right? And he's, he's in my opinion, kind of yelling, being dramatic to God. So what does God counter that with? God counters that with his own drama. Wind and fire and earthquakes. God's saying, I can do that too. Then all of a sudden, God stops it and goes into a silence. He stops it and goes into a whisper. What happens? It changes the mood. The Bible says that all of a sudden, Elijah pulls his cloak over his face. That was a sign of humility that Elijah recognizes a shift in the mood. Have you ever done that with your kids before? Like, like at my house, a colt can be very, very loud sometimes. And he's my youngest. And he is the most dramatic of my, of my three children. And so colt can go from zero to 100 like that, right? And so he just, Rah! and sometimes there's been times in our, in our family where colts, ah, you're yelling and screaming. And, my, and I start getting louder and louder and louder. And then all of a sudden I just stop. I say, now colt. And it's like all of a sudden he's like, it shocks him, right? When dad gets loud and then stops, it shocks Colt into this place of peace. And he's like, what? And he has to listen. We were talking the other day, a friend of mine, uh, it, and he probably won't watch this so I can talk about him. But, um, but my friend Nathan over at Vine Church, it's a great church uh, here in town. And, and, uh, and so Nathan was letting us borrow some tables the other day. And, and if you don't know Nathan, Nathan's a very softer spoken kind of guy. He's not like me. Like I'm loud and obnoxious and Nathan's very calm and collected. And, and so Andrew and I were talking because Andrew went and talked to him the other day for something to, to borrow the tables. And Andrew was like, hey, my name's Andrew. And Nathan was like, hey, my name's Nathan. It's nice to meet you. And Andrew goes, I just had to like bring my voice down. Like I just, like all of a sudden his voice was so quiet. I just brought my voice down. And, and all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? You know, I, 
I said, I know, I go to eat with Nathan, I love it, Nathan, and when we go out to eat, it's like we're telling secrets to each other, you know, it's like, because <laughs> I'm just used to being loud, and he's just not that guy, and that's exactly, so, so Nathan, if you do watch this, you're like God in the story, okay, um, so that's exactly what God does, it's like God brings the conversation down to a place of peace and a place of calm, he lowers the temperature in the room. For some of us, we're so hyped up in our depression, we're so upset, we're so mad, we're so, so much rage and anger. We need to step into God's presence, and when we step into God's presence, we need to allow God to turn the temperature down in the room. We need to lower the fire just a little bit, get us to a place where we can hear his voice over our yelling. He's hiding his face, he's not shaking his fist anymore. We've got to find a place of calm before we can find a place of answers. Amen? Verse 14, we're almost done. He replied, now, now he's going to say the same thing, but, but if you could just use your imagination with me for a minute, can you see the mood change, right? He's going to say the same thing, but to me it's almost like everything is more calm. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I, I feel like he's saying, no matter what I do, nothing changes. No matter how hard I try, I can't get ahead. No, 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 matter, no matter what I do, uh, you know, I, I, I clean the house, I, I, I take care of the kids, I make the dinner, I, I, I take the kids to soccer practice, and still nobody appreciates me, right? Right? Nobody cares what I do. I go to work every morning, and I work hard all day, and I come home from work, and, I, and when I get home from work, it's like the first thing someone says is take out the trash, and the next thing someone says is the house is falling apart, and the next thing I just get a to-do list, and, and no one cares about me. I go to work every morning. I'm the first one there. I'm the last one to leave, and still I didn't get the promotion that I thought I should get. I got demoted instead, and, and we, we start thinking this thing. It's like nothing works. Elijah's saying the same thing. Elijah says, I've been very busy in your kingdom. I've been very busy for you, God, and there's no fruit to show for it. I'm the only one that's serving you. Like, I did all this preaching. What was, what was so good about all that preaching if I'm the only guy in church? And so Elijah's upset, and he's hurt. He says, nobody appreciates me. As a matter of fact, they're trying to kill me. Like, I opened up the skies again, and Jezebel wants to kill me. Here's a problem that we get sometimes, is we get this victim mentality. We get a victim mentality. Victim mentality blames everybody else for my problems. If I'm a victim mentality type person, I'm blaming you for what I'm going through. Well, guess what? You may not be to blame for what I'm going through. And we see victim mentality all over our nation, all over our world right now. It's, it's very common. And, and, and you may say, yeah, but, but, but Gabriel, what if you really are a victim? Like, what if someone really is abusing you or really is trying to hurt you or, or trying to do you wrong? Okay, that's fine. That's fair. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that I've been called to be more than a conqueror. I am an overcomer in Christ Jesus. The Bible never says I won't go through trouble. The Bible says I'm not going to be a victim when I go through trouble. I'm going to be victorious when I go through trouble. I can overcome, I don't have to play the victim. And that's what Elijah is doing. So here's what God responds to him in verse 15. And this is going to be our third thing. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Saphat, from Abel, Mahola, whatever, it doesn't matter, to succeed you as prophet. Who will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. So what does that mean? So not only does God want to give us his presence, and God wants to give us his peace, but the next thing God wants to do is give us a purpose. Elijah is feeling unproductive in his life, so here's what God says. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to town. I want you to start anointing people. I want you to start, start telling people this is your job and this is your job and this is your job. And I want you to start being productive with your life. I need you to go back to work, but I don't need you to go back to work just trying to do the day-to-day -day grind. I need you to go back to work with a different mentality. I need your mentality to be a mentality of purpose, not a mentality of just getting through the day. And whenever you go back and you have this purpose, your purpose is going to be lasting longer than your life. He says, to, he says to Elijah, I want you to anoint this guy as king, anoint this guy as a prophet. And, and, and he says, whenever you anoint anoint Elisha, Elisha is going to take over for you one day. So in other words, you are going to have fruit that lives beyond your years. That's what we need. We need a purpose. 
We need something bigger than us. We need something bigger than just a nine to five. I'm not saying quit your jobs, please. Please don't quit your jobs, right? You need a job. You need things to do. But here's what I'm saying. Some, for some people, uh, I've heard multiple times throughout the course of the last two months, it's like as soon as I started talking about anxiety, uh, depression, and discontent, it's almost like I stirred up some water somewhere, and all of a sudden all the mud is coming up. And I hear all these stories are hitting me all of a sudden at once. And, and one of the stories I'm, I'm hearing is, is people don't have a job, and instead of going to look for a job, they get depressed, and they begin to isolate themselves, and they don't even look for a job anymore. They're just sitting what, what does that do? It just sinks them further and further and further down. God says, you got to get up, man. you got to go out and you got to do something. you got to start something. you got to pr- produce something. Like you got to get back to what you were called to do. John 15, 16 says, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. It is your calling to bear fruit, friends. Fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now, Ecclesiastes is a hard book to read because in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is having some issues here. And Solomon starts off Ecclesiastes by thinking the world is meaningless. He says everything is meaningless under the sun. But by the time he gets to the end of the book, he has changed his tune. And he says this, now that all has been heard, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? For this is the duty, this is the purpose of mankind. So God says you need purpose. And maybe your purpose is just to serve God. Maybe your purpose is just to obey God. But you need purpose in your life. There's something that he's called you to do and you need to do it. Verse 18 says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah got depressed because he believed the threats and lies of the enemy. When we believe the threats and the lies of the enemy, when we start believing that we're the only ones going through it, when we start believing that, that, that nobody loves us and nobody cares about us, when we start believing that I've never been productive, I've never done one good thing in my life, when we start believing those lies, we start getting depressed. But God points out the lies. He says, you are wrong about being alone. i got 7,000 people that still serve me. And he said, and you are wrong about being unproductive. All those messages you preach, all those people that you ministered to, all those miracles that you performed have led to the fact that I've got 7,000 people that you can't see that have been produced by your ministry. God says, I got folks, man. There are people, there is production happening. You just don't see it because you're believing the lies of the enemy. And we're going to end with this one. This is the last one. Verse 19, the last part of the story. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Saphat. He was plowing. It's funny that God sends him someone that has a name almost just like his, right? It's like God would tell me, go find your next pastor of Gateway. His name is Babriel. You know, it's like (laughs) Gabriel and Babriel. (laughs) That's funny. If anybody's having a kid, I dare you. I dare you. It might be God. So Elijah, <laughs> oh man, I'm stupid. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Saphath. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. That was a sign. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha uh, then left the oxen and ran after Elijah. He says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah said, what have I done to you? So Elisha left, Elisha left and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, burning the plow equipment to cook the meat and give it to the people, and they ate. That's a whole other sermon in and of itself, that when God calls you to do something, sometimes you need to burn the oxen and the plow, right? Like you just need to get rid of all the old and go after God with everything you've got. But that's a different sermon. This is the key verse right here, the key part, the very last sentence. It says, then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. That word servant there means to minister to somebody. Here's what God wants to do. God wants to give you his presence. God wants to give you his peace. God wants to give you a purpose. And lastly, God wants to give you a person. God wants to give you a person. Elijah didn't need a a girlfriend. He didn't need a wife. He didn't need, I'm not saying that those are bad. I've got one. I love her. He didn't need a pastor. He didn't need a, a, a preacher. He didn't need a counselor. All those are good things. He needed a friend. And when you're going through a depression, you need a friend. You need a friend. You need a friend that can give you a different perspective on your life. Because when we're in a depression, we see this. We see what's in front of us. We see just, just right here. But someone with a different perspective can look at you. 
They can look at you and they can say, hey, there's, there's more to this story than you can see. Sometimes we need a friend. When my wife and I were years back and, and, and we had some, some issues in our marriage where we were just both kind of struggling to figure out how to do this married life thing. And I was, I was dealing with my own issues. I was dealing with depression and discouragement. And I was struggling. And it bled over into our marriage. But one of the things that we talked about was we talked about having a friend. And I remember telling her one time, I said, I want you to just go get a friend. Like, I want you to get somebody that you can talk to. Even if you talk to them about me, I don't care. Like, like get someone that you just tell whatever's going on in your life. Because you need that person, and I need that person. And, and we need people that we can just go talk to. Yeah, I can talk to my wife. Of course I can talk to my wife. But sometimes, and she can talk to me. But sometimes if, if I'm the problem with her, right? Sometimes I'm the problem. I'm the issue. She needs to just go tell someone else. Like she needs to have that friend, that person. And you need that person in your life. You need that person that you can go open up to and talk to and say, hey, here's my struggle, here's my difficulty, here's what I'm going through. In, in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 6, I don't think I put this on the screen, but it says this. This is Paul speaking, and he says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by, by the coming of Titus. I don't know why that verse like popped up in my study, but I just thought it was so interesting that it says that God comforts the downcast, right? That's us. We're downcast. We're depressed. We're hurting. And God's going to comfort us. How does he comfort us? Sometimes he comforts us with his presence or with his peace or with a purpose. But sometimes he comforts us by sending us a Titus, by sending us a friend, a person that we can talk to that will pray with us. And let me tell you about the person you should choose. You should always choose a person that's moving forward, not standing still. You should always choose a person that, that's walking a spiritual path, that's seeking God, that's, that's pursuing Christ with all of their heart. Don't choose somebody that's, that's out there in sin and doing stuff that's not right. Why? Because they're not going to lead you down any path of wisdom whatsoever. We find someone that loves us, that cares for us, and not only cares for our physical person, but cares for our soul. We find someone that's going to edify us and build us up, not tear us down. Those are the kind of people we need to find. So why don't you stand up with me today? If you're depressed today, you need to experience his presence. You need to feel his peace. You need to find your purpose. And you need to have a person. Why don't you close your eyes with me this morning? Let's just get along with God. So I was praying with the team this morning before church, and, and one of the things we were praying about and we were talking about was that God took Elijah to a cave, right? He took him to a cave, and I just prayed. I said, God, let this building, let this room be as dark as it is. Let this room be a cave that when people come in and they're depressed and they're hurt and they're broken, when they're anxious and they're fearful and they're discontent with life, that they could step into this cave. And they could experience God in a real way. They could experience your presence and your peace. That they could find purpose. And they could find a friend. A person. So today you may be struggling. You may be struggling in your relationships. You may be struggling in your, in your life, in your, in your soul, in your feelings, your emotions today. may be broken. You may be depressed and discouraged. You may be discontent and fearful. But today I want to tell you there's hope for you. There's hope for you. There's hope for your forgiveness if you've sinned so much and you feel so much guilt and so much shame and you feel like no one can ever love you and you feel like God can never forgive you. Can I tell you something? There's hope for you because the Bible says that David, David cheated. David, David killed someone. David went through loss. And what happened? God still forgave David. There's hope for you today. You've suffered loss and you're discouraged and you're brokenhearted because, because you lost someone. Can I tell you something today? You're not alone. People throughout the Bible lost people, but the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. He's not far away from you. And you may feel angry and you may feel upset and you may feel questions about why did I have to lose this person? But listen, God has every answer and God wants to be right next to you today. He's close to the brokenhearted. Whatever your issue, whatever your reason today for struggle, whatever your depression may be. I want to tell you something. There's freedom for you. There's hope for you. You're not alone and God can rescue you. 
So this morning, if you say, Gabriel, I'm struggling, I'm struggling with, with depression or I'm struggling with this kind of loneliness, I'm struggling to deal with some of this stuff, here's what I want you to do very simply. Nobody's looking around. I want you to have a moment of peace. I want you to have a moment where you're not worried about what other people think about you. And I just want you to get alone with God. But if you're dealing with that today, I want to pray for you. If you just slip your hand up and put it right back down. So slip your hand up, put it right back down. It's just acknowledging it to God, not even to me, really, just to God. That say, God, I'm dealing with some stuff. And I want to pray for you right now. As a matter of fact, let's just do this. Let's all just lift up our hands today. That may not be something you're used to at your church, but the Bible says that we lift up our hands to God as a sign of surrender, as a sign of giving up. And so, so it's totally biblical. It's nothing weird about that. And so, God, today we just surrender. We give up to you, God. We keep trying to get through these issues. We keep trying to get through this depression on our own. We keep, keep trying to, to self-medicate, God. We keep trying to find ways out. But really, at the end of the day, we need you. And so today we just surrender to you. We surrender to you. And as I'm praying, you can pray for yourself too. That God, I surrender to you. I give you my life today. I I surrender my heart to you today. I believe in Jesus and and I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me of my sins of everything in my past that I know is wrong. But and I wish I wouldn't have done it. I wish I could get it back, but it's there. But I thank you that your word says that whenever you forgive us of our sins, you wash us and cleanse us and you forget our past. So God, today I just surrender everything I have to you. I surrender my loss today. I surrender my heartbreak today. I surrender the fact that I've lost a loved one and I'm hurting and I'm broken over it and I've gotten angry over it. But God, today I surrender that to you. I give it up to you. Today I want to step into the cave. I want to feel your presence. I want your peace in my life. Today I surrender my life to you, God. Not my purpose, but your purpose be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Today I want to fulfill all that you've called me to do because you've called me to do more than just work a nine to five. You've called me to be more than just a dad or a mom or a husband or a wife. God, you've called me today to to do something that lasts for eternity. And God, today I surrender my isolation to you. I surrender the fact that I want to get away from everybody. And today I want to find a friend. God, I want to find that person in my life, the person that you have for me to talk to, to to help me with my issues. And so today I surrender that to you, that, that idea that I can do it all by myself because God, the fact is I can't. And I just ask you to open up that door. I ask you to bring that person into my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.